Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. On October 9th, 2009, a two-ton rocket smashed into the moon, traveling at 9,000 kilometers per hour. It exploded in a shower of dust and heated the lunar surface to hundreds of degrees. The jet black crater into which it plummeted briefly filled with light for the first time in billions of years. The crash was no accident. NASA's Lunar Crater Observation and Sensing Satellite, or LCROSS, mission aimed to see what would be kicked up from the lunar shadows by the impact. Why? That's next. If you like this podcast, check out The Joy of Why, hosted by me, Steve Strogatz, where curiosity and the pursuit of knowledge take the driver's seat. We ask questions like, why can prolonged sleep deprivation ultimately be fatal? Where do space, time, and gravity come from? What is life? Learn about all that and more on The Joy of Why, wherever you get your podcasts. L-Cross mission, a spacecraft flew through the kicked-up dust plume from Cabeus Crater to sample it. NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter observed from afar. The results of the experiment were astonishing. Scientists detected 155 kilograms of water vapor mixed into the dust plume. For the first time, they'd found water on the moon. Tony Kolopreet of NASA's Ames Research Center, the principal investigator of LCROSS, says it was absolutely definitive. The moon isn't an obvious reservoir of water. Here's Mark Robinson, a planetary scientist at Arizona State University. It's really weird when you stop to think about it that there could be water on the surface of the moon or on the regolith because it's a vacuum. The moon gets super hot during the day and freezing cold at night. And now you got this weird environment that's permanently shadowed, which is kind of a foreign concept to Earthlings because, you know, our spin axis is tilted so much. There's nowhere on the Earth on the surface that's permanently shadowed like that, you know, these big areas. The moon's lack of atmosphere and extreme temperatures should cause any water to almost instantly evaporate. Yet, about 25 years ago, spacecraft began to detect signatures of hydrogen around the moon's poles, hinting that water might be trapped there as ice. Elcross proved this theory. Scientists now think there's not just a bit of water ice on the moon, but that there are 6 trillion kilograms of it. Most of this ice resides in peculiar features at the moon's poles called permanently shadowed regions, or PSRs. You can see a map of these shadowed areas and a graphic on how they work on Quanta Magazine's website. The sun can't reach into these craters like Cabeus because of the geometry of the moon's orbit. Valentin Bickel is a planetary scientist at the Max Planck Institute for Solar System Research in Germany. They're in permanent darkness, so you wouldn't be able to resolve anything with an optical sensor. At least not feasibly with this kind of analysis, says Bickel. Scientists are immensely interested in PSRs. 
inside, temperatures can drop below minus 170 degrees Celsius. Here's Parvathy Prem, a planetary scientist at the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Maryland. One reason PSRs are interesting is that they hold a scientific record that really doesn't exist anywhere else. The other reason that PSRs are interesting is the environmental conditions that they host. These are really not just the coldest places in this neck of the woods, but they're some of the coldest places in the solar system. They have range of temperatures, but some PSRs are as cold or colder than the surface of Pluto. And so it's a strange environment. This means ice on or below the lunar surface in PSRs won't necessarily melt. Instead, it might have survived there for billions of years. Studying the ice's chemical composition should reveal how it was delivered to the moon, in turn illuminating the origin of water on Earth, or really any rocky world around a star. It could also be a resource for future human activities on the moon. Studies so far have provided a tantalizing glimpse at best, but that's about to change. Next year, robotic vehicles will enter the icy depths of PSRs for the first time. They'll reveal what the interiors of these shadowed craters look like. By the decade's end, NASA plans to send humans to explore in person. On the eve of this new era of moon landings, a slew of fresh studies of PSRs have revealed that these shadowed regions are even stranger than scientists imagined. What will we find lurking in the shadows? I do not know what I am going to see. And that's the cool thing about it. That's Mark Robinson, the lead scientist for next year's robotic mission. Speculation about PSRs dates back to 1952, when the American chemist Harold Urey first hypothesized their existence on the moon. He wrote that near its poles, there may be depressions on which the sun never shines. Earth orbits the sun with its rotational axis tilted by 23.5 degrees, but Yuri observed that the moon orbits at a mere 1.5 degree tilt. This means the sun's rays strike its poles nearly horizontally, and the rims of polar craters will block light from directly reaching their depths. But Yuri believed that any ice in these sunless locations would have been rapidly lost because of the moon's lack of atmosphere. Then, in 1961, geophysicist Kenneth Watson of Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory theorized that ice could persist inside PSRs. Nightside temperatures on the moon were known to plunge to minus 150 degrees Celsius, Watson and two colleagues argued that this meant ice would get trapped in the coldest places, despite the exposure to space. They wrote that there should still be detectable amounts of ice in the permanently shaded areas of the moon. Scientists debated the possibility of ice in PSRs until the early 1990s. That's when radar instruments detected signs of ice at the poles of Mercury, which was also thought to have permanently shadowed craters. In 1994, scientists used a radar instrument on NASA's Clementine spacecraft to detect an enhanced signal over the moon's south pole that was consistent with the presence of water ice. The hunt was on. In 1999, Jean-Luc Margot at Cornell University and colleagues pinpointed PSRs on the moon that could contain ice. 
they used a radar dish in the Mojave Desert in California to make topographic maps of the lunar poles. Margot says they simulated the direction of sunlight and used topographic maps to identify regions that were permanently shadowed. They located just a handful of PSRs, but subsequent studies have identified thousands. The largest measure tens of kilometers across inside giant craters, such as Shackleton Crater at the lunar south pole. That one is twice as deep as the Grand Canyon. The smallest span, only centimeters, at the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference held in Houston in March, Caitlin Ahrens, a planetary scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, presented research suggesting that some PSRs may grow and shrink slightly as temperatures on the moon fluctuate. You know, it's not like this is, a, you know, football fields, sizes of ice that's rapidly growing and shrinking. That would be quite interesting, but no, we're talking very, very small growth and shrinkage here, but to still see a pattern that these are very dynamic cold regions, they're not stagnant. New research indicates that some craters also contain double-shadowed regions, or shadows within shadows, as Patrick O'Brien calls them. He's a graduate student at the University of Arizona who presented evidence for the idea in Houston. These permanently shadowed regions are actually not coldest areas on the moon because inside those shadows you can have small topographic depressions where you're shielded not only from sunlight but from sunlight that is scattered off of surrounding terrain and also radiation that is being emitted by those warmer sunlit surfaces so inside these shadows within shadows temperatures can be even colder than the permanent shadows themselves reaching temperatures as, as low as 35 Kelvin or so. That's about minus 250 degrees Celsius. The double shadowed regions are cold enough to freeze more exotic ices like carbon dioxide and nitrogen, should any exist there. Scientists say the chemical composition of these and of the water ice inside PSRs could reveal how water got to the moon. Margaret Landis is a planetary scientist at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Being able to understand the amount of water that was delivered to the moon then gives you an idea of how much water could reasonably have been delivered to Earth from these small body sources and how much then we could reasonably expect the Earth's water to really be comet water or asteroid water. And that's a really big, important thing for understanding then, okay, so water is essential to life as we know it. When and how did the conditions favorable for life to arise on the Earth form, and what role did other solar system materials have in generating those? Whereas Earth's past has been scrambled by geological processes, the Moon is a museum of the solar system's history. Its ice is thought to have remained mostly untouched since its arrival. There are three predominant theories about how water got to the Moon. The first is that it arrived via asteroid or comet impacts. In this scenario, when the solar system formed, water molecules in the hot inner solar system were vaporized and blown away by the solar wind. Only water in the frigid outskirts could condense and accumulate into icy bodies. These bodies subsequently bombarded the inner solar system, including the moon, delivering water. The second theory is that volcanic eruptions on the moon, sometime in its middle age, formed a thin, temporary lunar atmosphere that engendered ice formation at the poles. 
Or solar wind could have transported hydrogen to the moon that mixed with oxygen to form ice. In February, a reanalysis of the L-cross plume was published in Nature Communications. It indicated that the ice in Cabeus crater probably came from comets. Kathleen Mant of the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory and her colleagues analyzed the amount of nitrogen, sulfur, and carbon frozen into the ice along with water. You would have a nitrogen to carbon ratio in the volcanic gases that was way beyond what is reasonable for volcanoes to have delivered. So because of the nitrogen, we were able to rule out any sort of volcanic source for these volatiles. They found that the best explanation was comets. If the moon's ice was delivered exclusively by comets, the same might have been true for Earth. That could mean rocky worlds must experience such impacts to accumulate the water necessary for life to flourish. But planetary scientist Margaret Landis says it's too early to say whether Mant's research holds true for all ice on the moon. She says the community needs more time to digest it. If some lunar ice is determined to be of volcanic origin, this would suggest worlds hold the innate ability to generate water from their interiors rather than relying on impacts. Here's Landis. The challenge is that a lot of the terrestrial planets in our solar system either have atmospheres, which definitely affects the water process, so it would be hard to then go back and say for sure how much water was from the original planet formation or that was delivered there. I think it probably has bigger implications for a lot of these potentially rocky exoplanets that are being discovered because we know that not everywhere has the same solar system architecture as our solar system. It might be not all solar systems have lots of comets or asteroids, but solar systems that form rocky planets might have this ability to kind of have mantles and have mantle eruptions kind of re-erupt the water. Aside from looking for exotic ice and PSRs, scientists also want to measure the water ice's proportion of deuterium, a heavier isotope of hydrogen. Substantial deuterium is more consistent with what's found in comets. Less of it would point to solar wind. A volcanic origin would fall somewhere in the middle. Other elements will be informative, too, says Paul Hain, a planetary scientist at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Like the sulfur content, for example, so the lunar interior should provide more sulfur than comets, and also potentially the way that sulfur is combined with other elements to make hydrogen sulfide or sulfate, whether it's combined with oxygens or hydrogens, will also be somewhat different between comets and the lunar interior. No previous foray to the moon has ventured into its permanent shadows. The Apollo landings took place near the moon's equator at a time when knowledge of PSRs was in its infancy. In 2019, China's Chang'e 4 lander and rover touched down at the South Pole, but it didn't target PSRs. But in 2017, then-President Trump signed a directive to NASA to return humans to the moon, an initiative later named Artemis. The missions may include the first explorations into the moon's permanently shadowed craters. So ahead of the first crude Artemis landings in the mid-2020s, NASA is paying commercial companies to conduct initial robotic exploration. 
Houston-based Intuitive Machines will be the first of these companies to explore a PSR, albeit briefly. Their Nova Sea lander is scheduled to launch by the end of this year on a SpaceX rocket. It's due to touch down on a ridge near Shackleton Crater, a possible target for subsequent human exploration. The lander will then deploy a suitcase-size vehicle called the Micro Nova Hopper. The hopper will use thrusters to jump across the lunar surface, up to hundreds of meters at a time. Here's Mark Robinson, the mission's lead scientist. It's only about 70 centimeters tall. The spindly little spacecraft, it flies off the lander, and then it lands on the rim of Marston Crater. It hangs out there for a day, and then it takes off, turns on its LED lighting panel, descends into the crater, and it stays there for about 45 minutes. And it can't stay much longer than that because it gets cold. And at some point, you know, if it stays too long, the fuel gets too cold so it won't vaporize and they can't get out. So the hopper itself sits in these pitch black depths with its lights and cameras. We'll be taking pictures in there. I don't know what we're going to see. Robinson says sheets of surface ice are possible, but it's more likely that the vehicle's lights will reflect off ice crystals mixed in with the lunar soil. Or if there's minimal ice on the surface, it may not definitively show up in images at all. Whatever the case, the view will be historic. The hopper's dip into Marston will last no more than 45 minutes, so the scientific return will be limited. The primary goal is simply to demonstrate that the hopping approach works. But we won't have long to wait for a more thorough dive into the lunar abyss. This summer, the inaugural launch of NASA's new Space Launch System rocket, which will propel Artemis missions to the moon, will carry several small spacecraft that will study PSRs from lunar orbit. A separate Korean orbiter will carry ShadowCam, a NASA instrument designed to image PSRs. But we won't reach the defining moment in robotic PSR exploration until late 2023. That's when a golf cart-sized rover called Viper, standing for Volatiles Investigating Polar Exploration Rover, will head to the moon on a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket. Upon exiting its landing vehicle, Viper will drive into three of the moon's permanently shadowed regions and drill into the ground. The rover will work for up to 10 hours at a time, drilling up to a meter deep for subsurface ice or digging into any exposed ice on the surface. Chris Zachney is with Honeybee Robotics in Colorado, which designed the drill. If it's a block of ice and it's a cryogenic ice, so we're looking at 40, 50 Kelvin ice, very, very cold, we're going to know right away. A drill is not just the ice mining system. It's also an instrument. It will tell us how strong material is below the ground. And by understanding what the concentration and how strong material is, it will tell us how ice is distributed in the subsurface. The team expects to perform up to 50 drilling sessions. Planetary scientist Margaret Landis says Viper will revolutionize our knowledge of these regions. It will use spectrometers to analyze any ice that's found, revealing the ratio of deuterium to hydrogen and looking for hints of carbon dioxide or nitrogen. 
Viper may provide conclusive insight into where the moon's ice comes from and the general conditions under which ice might be found on rocky bodies. Tony Kolopreet, Viper's project scientist, says we'll have a quantum leap in our understanding. The scientific advances will come on the coattails of a different project. If ice is accessible on or near the surface in PSRs, NASA hopes that astronauts could use it as either drinking water or fuel. NASA is currently planning for the first crewed Artemis landing in 2025 to touch down near a PSR so that the astronauts can see for themselves how viable such an idea might be. Jim Green is NASA's former chief scientist. This is not the Apollo program. It's not like we go there, deploy some instruments, grab some material, and come back in a day or two. We're planning to stay there for a week, two weeks, maybe even a whole month or more. So the concept of going out, prospecting, acquiring materials, building shelters, having habitats on the moon, is viable. Kevin Cannon, a space resource expert at Colorado School of Mines, says various proposals for how to extract and utilize water ice are under development. The first step is really to excavate, to get material out of the ground. So people are looking at mechanical systems, so things that would be familiar at a mine site on Earth, things like diggers, backhoes, excavators. Cannon says the next task is how to extract the water from the excavated lunar soil. We're not going to find necessarily pure layers of ice beneath the surface. It's going to be kind of dirty ice, you know, the stuff that you would find after a snowfall has gone around and the ice has kind of gotten, you know, a bit rotten and mixed in with dirt. And so the main way that we're thinking of getting that water out of liberating it is to heat it using either concentrated sunlight or to put it into some kind of oven, basically bake the water off. There are some ideas that you could skip the excavation step and just directly heat the ground to liberate the water and then capture it in some kind of tent, for example. Confirmation that there is indeed accessible ice on the moon could come by the start of next year, with the first images from inside a permanently shadowed lunar crater. By the end of 2023, we may know for sure how it got there. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Ballett. For more on this story, read Jonathan O'Callaghan's full article, Secrets of the Moon's Permanent Shadows Are Coming to Light, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quanta Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science.